0: Good evening, this is Justin Ford four From the Frontline. Tonight we are dealing with why was General George Patton assassinated? In the studio with me is Dr. Peter Hammond, the founder of Frontline Fellowship, who has been involved in serving persecuted Christians for over 40 years in 38 countries. Dr. Hammond, you have written about the assassination of General George Patton. How did you come to be interested in this subject?
1: Well, December is the anniversary of the death of General Patton. He had the vehicle accidents on 9th of December and died on the 21st of December. The first American home that I ever stayed in back in 1988 was that of General Ben Parton, U.S. Air Force scientist who developed laser, laser weapons, cluster bombs, cruise missiles, and he's a real pioneer of other precision-guided weapons. General Ben Parton was the first person to tell me about the assassination of General George Patton. It wasn't even hinted at in the movie of the name Patton uh, that he was assassinated um, the day before he was resigning from the army. Well, over the years, I've discovered even more shocking facts from military and historical sources on this incredible life and the intriguing conspiracy to assassinate the U.S. Army General George Patton. And the scripture tells us to hate evil, to love good, and to maintain justice in the courts. It's important to know the truth. The truth can set us free. And to understand how such a prominent figure in the Second World War was killed by his own side. I think um, it's got a lot to teach us about the deep state and... Also, how much we can trust official history and how much we can trust government or not.
0: So, who was uh, General George Patton? Can you please help us understand something of his background and importance?
1: So, General George S. Patton was born 11th of November, 1885. So, he's from the previous century. Uh, 11th of November became a very important date later on. Of course, when he was born, it wasn't known as the Memorial Day to commemorate soldiers, but... How appropriate that he was born 11th of November. His homeschooling concentrated in classical literature, and he went to Virginia Military Academy, and a year later he was admitted to the United States Military Academy at West Point, which he entered in 1904. Well, apart from his athletic achievements, he was a member of the riding, fencing, rifle, and track teams. In 1909, he was commissioned second lieutenant in the 15th Cavalry Regiment, which of course was, um, that was the elite, most aggressive part of the military at that time, the cavalry. In 1912, George Patton represented the United States in pentathlon in the Olympic Games at Stockholm in Sweden. The pentathlon included the five classic military skills, horse riding, running, swimming, marksmanship, and fencing. Well, in fencing, he came first in the world at Olympics. In riding, he came third, and he rated overall fifth of the 43 international contestants. And he might have won outright, except that two of his shots into the target were deemed to have missed the target entirely because he got all of his shots inside the bullseye. And it wasn't known that people could shoot that well, so the judge made the assessment that he'd missed the target totally, even though it was later discovered when it dug everything out that it was wrong. He actually got every single shot in the bullseye. And so uh, being such a gentleman, he didn't even argue. He didn't make a scene about it. You can imagine today it wouldn't be the same at the Olympics, but at any rate... um, General Patton was quite an extraordinary person, and after the Olympics were over, he toured Europe and he returned to the United States as a weapons instructor at the Cavalry School. He even designed a new sabre which was adopted for service called the Patton Sabre. So, in 1916, he was posted to Texas and took part in the Mexican War as the aide de camp to General Pershing, and it was at this time that Patton began to wear two revolvers on uh, his belt like a cowboy, like a two six-shooters, and he, um, on the 14th of May, 1916, encountered three mounted bandits, shot two of them dead, and Patton returned to HQ with the bodies of these men draped over the bonnet of his car. One of the dead bandits turned out to be General Cordenus, the chief of staff of Pancho Villa, uh, who was, of course, the main one they were fighting against in the Mexican War. And May 1917, Patton sailed to France in command of Pershing's headquarters detachment, but he requested a transfer to a combat unit. He didn't want to just be an HQ. And so Patton was assigned by General Pershing to establish the tank corps. Now, America didn't have any tanks at the time, and Lieutenant Patton obtained the first two Reynolds tanks from the French, learned how to operate them, and trained other Americans in this new martial art. When Patton accepted the posting, he didn't join the tank corps. He was the tank corps. Um, He overcame tremendous logistical complications and Now a major, he managed to field 144 Reynolds tanks in the Battle of Saint-Mihiel, September 1918, which was a very successful operation, whether by good intelligence or by sheer luck. That the Germans were planning a a staged withdrawal to a better line. They were um, consolidating the line. They had this huge salient or a big bulge in the uh, front line. And so they were going to withdraw from Saint-Mihiel to a new front line that had been entrenched and prepared. Uh, to be more, uh, called it consolidating their their line. And the Americans attacked just at the moment the Germans were doing this uh, planned withdrawal. And so they got the impression that they had won a spectacular victory. It was certainly a propaganda victory, although militarily uh, they only gained the ground that the German army was planning to hand over anyway just to consolidate their front line. But he was wounded in this action and hospitalized for the last days of the war. So between the war years... Patton continued to pioneer tank warfare in the U.S. Army. Interestingly, he used uh, General Erwin Rommel's uh, textbook, uh, the infantry tactics, as a, a major textbook, and he kept it by his bedside for nighttime reading throughout the rest of his life. He always had Rommel's book there. He said, Erwin Rommel is the gold standard.
0: Hmm. Can, uh, general George Patton was plainly an extraordinary and very successful military leader. Why would anyone want to assassinate such a great general? Did he attract controversy?
1: Well, yes, a General Patton was recognized as the most ferocious and effective combat general on the Allied side, known as the man who never lost a battle. And he's about the only U.S. commander who could say that he'd never lost a battle. The hero of North Africa and of Sicily, Patton was temporarily relieved of command for slapping two uninjured privates convalescing in a military hospital. So after distinguishing himself in North Africa, he engaged in a contest against his arch-rival, British General Bernard Law Montgomery, who was my father's officer commanding. My dad was an 8th army, so uh, Montgomery was his officer commanding a North, North African an 8th army. But uh, Patton and Montgomery hated one another, and they were continually competing and trying a one-upmanship against one another. In a race across Sicily, to be the first to take Messina, Patton took very dangerous tactical chances. He pushed his men to the limit, and visiting a field hospital in the crags of Sicily's central highlands, he went from stretcher to stretcher, encouraging the wounded men being treated, sometimes awarding purple hearts medals. And he then counted a private, Charles Cool, who was sitting, evidently uninjured, on a stool. "Why are you here?" the general demanded. "I guess I can't take it, sir." Well, the general was furious. "You cowardly billet! Leave this tent at once!" And as Cool remained motionless and unresponsive, the general slapped him across the face with his gloves. He then lifted the man off the stool by the collar of his uniform, shoved him towards the exit and gave him a kick in the rear. You hear me, you yellow bastard, you're going to the front. Well, in his journal, Patton wrote, if men shirk their duties, they should be tried for cowardice and shot. Of course, he came from a previous century and different generation outlook. Two days later, the general wrote a memo to each of his commanders, ordering them not to allow men suffering from so-called combat fatigue or Shell shock, which is a psychological disorder not really understood or recognized as legitimate back at that time, to be fair. Um, now we know that post traumatic stress syndrome is real, but um, back at that stage they looked at it as just sheer cowardice. Uh, he said, You must make sure nobody having combat fatigue receives medical care. Such men are cowards, they bring disgrace to their comrades whom they heartlessly leave to endure the dangers of battle, while they themselves are in the hospital as a means of escape. You will see to it that these cases are not sent to the hospital. Well, a few days later, 10th of August, 1943, Patton encountered a 21-year-old private, Paul Bennett, who was shaking from convulsions and in tears, but also evidently uninjured, in a field hospital. It's my nerves, sir. I just can't stand the shelling anymore. And Patton roared, your nerves? Hell, you're just a goddamn coward as Bent began sobbing, the general slapped him. Shut up. I won't have these brave men here who've been shot see a yellow bastard here crying. And as the general hit him again, Bennett's helmet fell to the floor. You're a disgrace to the army and you're going right back to front now. You ought to be lined up against a wall and shot. In fact, I ought to shoot you right now. And Patton pulled out his ivory-handled revolver from his holster with his right hand while he backhanded, bent across the face with his left hand. And the medical staff had to rush and intervene and usher the private out of the tent for his own safety. Well, when word reached General Eisenhower, he wrote a very stern rebuke to General Patton, who personally apologized to the entire unit, to the soldiers and the medical staff who'd witnessed his actions. As he explained, he hadn't intended to humiliate him or traumatize anyone. He was trying to inspire the men to a higher standard, and um, he did believe that um, it's shirking to have uninjured men in the medical tent. He's not only taking up space, but he's abandoning his duties and leaving other people to it, so... He, but he apologized that what he did was unbecoming of an officer and not appropriate, and he is very sorry to have done that, and uh, apologized specifically to medical staff and witnesses. Well, a media campaign in America led to such public outcry that the U.S. Congress called for Patton's immediate dismissal, court martial to be kicked out of the army. Despite his tremendous achievements on the battlefield, the U.S. Army was humiliatingly defeated by the Africa Corps in its first engagement at Kasserine Pass, and. Uh, Patton was called on to salvage the U.S. Army when it was actually in, in such a sad state of defeat and retreat. And he had never lost. He was their best combat commander that they had. I mean, as he said, um, uh, after one battle, he said, I read Rommel's book. You know, and I said, yeah, how did you win? You know, he's learning from the gold standard. And um, now they want to, imagine that, they want to kick out their best general because he slapped two malingerers. And uh, Patton wrote, it's sad and shocking to think that victory... And the lives of thousands of men are pawns in the writings of a group of unprincipled reporters and weak-kneed congressmen. But so it is.
0: Well, evidently there were many in the media and Hollywood and in Congress who did not like him. But who would have had the means and the inclination or the motivation to actually assassinate the general?
1: Well, then we've got to introduce you to Wild Bill Donovan and OSS. American President Franklin Delano Roosevelt, to remember, was very leftist and had lots of communist support, and his wife, uh, Eleanor Roosevelt, was a card-carrying communist. He turned to one of his classmates from Columbia Law School, also a communist, Wild Bill Donovan, to establish the Office of Strategic Services, the OSS. This became the precursor to the CIA. So the Central Intelligence Agency was founded after the Second World War, and basically the Office of Strategic Services, the OSS, was really the forerunner. Now, the OSS did the dirty work of assassinations and... They operated entirely on FDR's instructions. FDR was inspired by Winston Churchill's SOE, the Special Operations Executive, which was the School of Ungentlemanly Warfare, which was totally based on the IRA, the Irish Republican Army Terrorist Tactics. And um, the founder of OSS even said, we we based its whole operations on the IRA, which was the world's first terrorist organization in some ways. So um, OSS was to do assassination, sabotage, and do behind enemy lines dirty work. And Donovan ensured that Bronze Tito, who is a hardcore communist and his red partisans in Yugoslavia, who are waging guerrilla warfare throughout Yugoslavia, ensured that the communists received lavish quantities of American tanks and trucks and jeeps, hundreds of tons of armaments and ammunition, landmines, heavy machine guns, the best of the best. And this undercover battle led by Donovan and OSS ensured that all of Eastern Europe fell at the hands of the Soviet Union because they would ignore uh, the nationalists who were fighting. They wouldn't help them. They would only help the communist partisans. And so uh, it was well put by General Walter Bedell Smith uh, writing to Winston Churchill that Donovan is out of control with a predilection for political intrigue. Well, Donovan didn't have to report to the chief of staff or to the military. He only reported to the President of the United States. And FDR authorized Donovan to set up the Central Intelligence Agency after, uh, after the war was over. So Donovan had no moral or ethical qualms about dealing with communists. He channeled millions of dollars to the Chinese Communist of Mao Zedong to fight against America's official ally, Nationalist China, under General Chiang Kai-shek. Donovan had a massive secret slush fund provided by Congress, but without any... Um, real military oversights. He only had to report to the president. who didn't seem to care about these things anyway. And there was no concern for legality or the Geneva Convention either. They committed murder and mayhem all over the place. And the money was meant to cover his far-flung spy and sabotage networks across Asia and Africa. But under the authority of FDR, Wild Bill Donovan ordered many political assassinations, even in neutral countries like Sweden, Spain, and Switzerland. And General Dwight D. Eisenhower ordered the 4 million Allied soldiers in Germany to halt and not go further than the west bank of the Elbe River, 60 miles short of Berlin, in order to enable the Red Army, the Soviet Army, to seize the German capital, Berlin. And General Patton was seized with fury and wrote, Some of our are just damn fools. They have no idea of Russian history. Hell, I doubt if they even knew that Russia was, less than 100 years ago, owned Finland, sucked the blood out of Poland, and was using Siberia as a prison for their own people. How Stalin must have sneered when he got through with them at all of these phony conferences. So, of course, Patton despised the politicians. And he wrote, Letting the Russians take Berlin is folly. We should push on as far to the east as possible and we shouldn't stop before Moscow. And the Soviets maintained a stranglehold on Eastern Europe for 45 years because of the Allied treachery. Millions of civilian refugees fleeing towards American lines were turned back at bayonet point. People fleeing the Red Army were... Wanting, expecting, well, Americans will treat us better. The Americans greet them at the border there with bayonets and forced them back into the hands of the Soviets where the women were raped and the men were brutalized and millions of the men ended up as slave laborers in the Soviet concentration camps in the Gulag Archipelago and the Arctic hellholes of Siberia. So that's how freedom was portrayed and Patton saw this and he spoke about it and he spoke against it.
0: Were there any early attempts to assassinate the general?
1: Yes. um, On the 17th of April 1945, Patton's single engine L-5 Sentinel propeller plane, which is a high-wing observer plane, was attacked head-on by a British Spitfire bearing Royal Air Force markings. Now, despite the I-5 being unarmed and a staff plane with American markings, the Spitfire fired its whole nine yards. I mean, the whole nine yards means all the ammunition in its wings poured into... Uh, and around uh, Patton's aircraft and traces flew by the sides of Patton's aircraft but his pilot was very skilled and took a face of action so effectively that during the manoeuvres the British Spitfire crashed into ground. But the General now had the question, was the Spitfire attack an accident or was it a deliberate assassination attempt? And if it was an assassination attempt, who did it, the British or the Russians? Because the British gave a 1,000 Spitfires to the Soviet Union as part of lend-lease, lease, 3,000 Hurricanes. 5,000 fighter aircraft, all told. So the Russians could have had Spitfires and they might have done some up with British markings. So it could have been a Soviet attempt to assassinate him, make it look like it was British. But then the British went beyond assassinating people either, like General Sikorsky, head of the Polish government in exile. So um, was this a Royal Air Force attempt or was this a, a Soviet Red Army attempt to assassinate him? But there's no doubt that Spitfire tried to destroy uh, general Patton on the 17th of April.
0: What did the general say or do that so aggravated his enemies?
1: Well, here I can quote from the Patton papers, which were uh, published by his daughter um, uh, after after the war in 1973. And the Patton papers are letters and speeches of his and writings and journals. And uh, all of these now are quotes from him. Let us keep our boots polished, our bayonet sharpened. Let us present a picture of force and strength to the Soviets. This is the only language to understand and respect. If we fail to do this, I would say we've lost the war. And uh, he saw the Soviets as the real enemy. And even his British counterparts and rival, Field Marshal Moni, agreed with Patton's assessment and he ordered all his troops to stack the Wehrmacht rifles in such a way that they could be easily redistributed to the prisons of war should the Soviets attack and the British and Germans need to stand together to defend themselves against the Soviet attack. And Army Intelligence warned General Patton his life was in danger from the NKVD, which is the old version of what today became the KGB. Apparently, Marshal Joseph Stalin ordered Patton to be assassinated as the highest priority for the KGB, so their main target was to be General Patton, kill Patton. Reasons include, General Patton opposed the American policy of forcing millions of German prisoners of war to be sent as slave labor to Russia. These men should be used to rebuild their own country, Patton said. The entire country of Germany had been bombed into rubble. Roads, bridges, plumbing system all needed to be rebuilt. 63 cities in Germany had been bombed into rubble and incinerated, and multiplied millions of people were Dehoused housed or without homes. The Germans are the only decent people left in Europe, Patton said. It's a choice between them and the Russians and I prefer the Germans. General George Marshall, chief of staff, ordered that Patton's phones be tapped and requested a psychoanalyst from the naval's medical corps to observe General Patton. And Eisenhower wrote scathingly of Patton regarding him as a loose cannon because of how he distrusted the Soviets. Why would you distrust people who killed about 100 million of their own people? Uh, well, while Bill Donovan who could travel in and out of Moscow easily and was about the only person in the world to have direct access to Marshal Stalin. He could walk into dictator Stalin's office or home anytime day or night without an appointment. Nobody in the Soviet Union could do that. Well, uh, old Wild Bill Donovan hated Patton, And the OSS and NKVD exchanged information helping one another in espionage projects, including spying on General Patton. So the CIA or OSS in this case and NKVD were cooperating on spying on Patton, and an OSS agent Duncan Lee, who was actually a personal assistant to Donovan, was assigned to spy on General Patton when he was military governor of the U.S. occupation zone in southern Germany, Bavaria, and Duncan Lee repod- provided regular reports on Patton's movements and his recordings through wiretaps of his phone and office. Duncan Lee was discovered later to be a double agent, also working with the Soviet spy agency, the MKVD. Duncan Lee had provided the Soviets with advance warning of D Day landings and exact location of the atomic bomb research in the United States. So, um, plainly, um, old uh, General Patton had uh, gotten some pretty serious enemies.
0: So, plainly, the Soviets, the Communists, wanted General George Patton removed. Were there any were there were there any morning warnings that this could happen?
1: A lot of warnings actually. So sixteenth of may nineteen forty-five, Ukrainian nationalist leader Stefan Bandera defected the Americans and informed the US Counterintelligence Intelligence Corps agent Stefan Stubik, Soviet High Command has been ordered by Marshal Stalin to kill US Army General George Patton. Highest priority assassination. Rather than being shocked by Stubik's news, Donovan head of the OSIS, ordered Bandera return to the Soviets. Can you believe it? And, of course, the Soviets murdered uh, Stefan Bandera, the man who had warned of the attempt on General Patton's life. And to this day, the Ukrainians remember Stefan Bandera as a, a martyr to the cause and absolutely shocking uh, that the Americans could take a man who defected, give them good information, and betray him to the very people who ensured that he died in torturous ways. Then there was the Ukrainian diplomat, Professor Roman Stocky who said the NKVD will soon attempt to kill General George Patton. Stalin wants him dead. And Professor Smolstocki was expelled by the Americans from Germany and betrayed back into the hands of the NKVD in Russia, where he was killed, torturously, of course. Then there was Ukrainian General Pavlov Shundak, who informed the same Special Agent Stubik of Army Intelligence that he had vital intelligence. Please tell General Patton to be on guard. He is at the top of the NKVD list to be killed. Well, the Americans also betrayed General uh, Shandruk into the hands of the NKVD, and he was tortured and killed.
0: Why was um, General George Patton considered such a threat?
1: He knew too much, just for starters. In Berlin, Patton learned that more than 20,000 American prisoners of war, POWs, who had been in German hands, who had fallen into Russian hands at the end of the war, because some of the prison camps were in Prussia, East Prussia, and so on, quite far away. And this included U.S. pilots who'd been shot down while on bombing raids. It included Americans who'd been captured during the Battle of the Bulge when the German army um, took a huge amount of them captive. So um, the Russians took many of these camps in the East, um, which include American prisoners. And these prisoners were officially allies. So you would have thought, yeah, the Russians celebrated and they'd be going home soon, right? No, not at all. So the Russians... Held these men like hostages and uh, used them as leverage in their negotiations with the Allies to ensure that all Russians, Ukrainians, other East Europeans, and Western Europe be forced across the border into Soviet hands. This was not just Russians who had fought alongside the Germans and fighting against Soviets or Ukrainians. This included women and children, their wives and children, including refugees who had fled from Russia in 1917 to escape the Bolshevik Revolution, whose children had been born in Western Europe, who had never even lived in Russia. They all had to be forced at bayonet points across the border into the hands of the Soviets. And the Russians denied the Americans and the British access to the prisoner of war camps where their own men were being held. And they encouraged Allied governments to suppress this information that their men were being held hostage by the ally Marshal Stalin. People wouldn't have thought much of the ally if they knew that they were actually keeping the people imprisoned. Well, three million Russians, Ukrainians and other East Europeans were betrayed in the hands of the Soviets. And uh, at the end of it, Soviets decided to keep the American prisoners of war anyway. So they were completely betrayed. Uh, I met Captain Red McDaniels of the uh, American Defense Institute uh, who had a hand also in the book Kiss the Boys Goodbye, which documented that the missing in action prisoners of war betrayed didn't start with Vietnam. America betrayed something like 17,000 prisoners of war who were uh, uh, captured by the Soviets during uh, the First World War. They were held the Bolsheviks and they kept them and the Americans never got them back and those guys just all died out in the um, hell holes of, of uh, the Gulags in Siberia well at the end of the Second World War there were over 20,000 American prisoners of war who uh, were all abandoned by the US and I know one escaped and wrote the book I was a I was a prisoner in Soviet Russia um, uh, Thomas Noble and uh, that book actually had a forward by Billy Graham interestingly enough and uh, But most were were never released, only one that I know of escaped. And so after the Korean War, there were 2,500 American prisoners of war that were betrayed and left uh, to rot in China. And so it carries on. So the U.S. government's got a history of betraying their own soldiers. And uh, in this case, also betrayed the Allies. They betrayed millions of Russian-Ukrainian men, women, and children in freedom, here the war is meant to be fought for freedom and justice and democracy and Christian civilization, and all that. And here they handed these people over to the worst mass murdering anti Christian thugs in history, the Soviet NKVD, who murdered most of them and uh, the rest died of overwork and starvation and the Gulags as slave laborers for Stalin. So that obviously General Patton knew about it and started to speak about Operation Keelhaul, which was very treacherous. And if Americans back home knew that their own prisons of war, had been betrayed and were uh, abandoned into the hands of Stalin and they were suffering worse than anyone could ever imagine. That wouldn't have helped. So Patton knew about this. Patton then publicly insulted the general, uh, the Soviet Marshal Zhukov, who was the hero of the Soviet Union. Zhukov had, um, for example, been the one running the battle for Berlin when millions of Red Army fell on Berlin and raped, glutted murdered their way across. and. Uh, horrific atrocities done but Zhukov was considered a hero of the Soviet Union even though he had given the order that the Soviet uh, soldiers were to rape the German women and things like this when they took Berlin well uh, you can go to Berlin today and they've got the uh, the monument to the unknown Russian soldier and uh, the Germans still called uh, the monument to the unknown ra- Russian rapist uh, the unknown rapist is, is the name of the monument to most of the people here. Um, and uh, well Patton insulted Marshal Zhukov and uh, publicly stated that the Russians were the real enemy. And Patton became convinced that the only way he could speak freely about these things was to resign from the military, not just to retire. He wanted to resign so he could go home and say what he has to say. So Patton said, my battlefield is changing. I'm still a warrior, but now the podium and the pen will be my main weapon. To expose the treachery of the US government, he said, I'm going to launch a new front against the real sons of bitches, SOBs, um, the real enemy in Washington, D.C., and uh, and the danger of their so-called sail- Soviet allies. Now, General Patton at this stage had, three m- had the Third Army under him. That's half a million men, the largest U.S. fighting force in history. And Patton was convinced he could have freed all of Eastern Europe if Eisenhower had not halted his supplies and cut off his fuel. In fact, he had liberated part of Czechoslovakia, and Eisenhower ordered him to withdraw because Czechoslovakia was meant to be in the hands of the Soviets. So, Patton was going in, having people, welcoming them, hugging them, throwing flowers on their tanks, and thank you for liberating us, only to have to, have, sorry, um, uh, FDR and Churchill, you have, you belong to Stalin. Sorry to liberate you, that was a mistake, and we've got to go back. And uh, at the end of the Second World War, General Patton was America's top military leader, certainly the top, top combat leader, and he accurately assessed the shift in the balance of world power that this war had produced because what they'd done is they'd effectively removed the two greatest anti-communist forces in the world. Germany in Europe and Japan in Asia were stopping the expansion of communism. And now having removed those, the Soviet Union is going to take half of Europe and uh, communists are going to take a huge part of Asia, especially China, because we've removed the anti-communist forces um, of Japan and Germany. And so uh, he foresaw the enormous danger of communist expansion and aggression now. And several months before the end of the war, Patton had begun to realize the fearful danger to the West posed by the Soviet Union, which the West had been supplying with billions of dollars of arms and weaponry, tens of thousands of trucks and tanks and bombers and fighter aircraft and huge amounts, I mean billions of rounds of ammunition, millions of shells and huge amounts of industrial equipment and so on too. So, Lend-Lease, so-called, which was just gifts to the Reds. Britain had to pay for the weapons that America sold them, but the Soviet Union got everything free. And uh, so we've built up this enemy, we've saved the Soviet Union, and now we are betraying a huge amount of Western Europe into the hands of the Soviets, and of course all of Central and Eastern Europe too. He bitterly disagreed with the orders that had been given to hold back his army and to wait for the Red Army to occupy huge sections of Germany, Czechoslovakia, Romania, Hungary, Bulgaria, and Yugoslavia, all of which the Americans could have easily taken, he said. And General Patton Patton was probably alone amongst American leaders, who was warning America should act immediately, while his supremacy was unchallengeable, while she had the weaponry and the manpower and the weapons on the ground, the tanks, now we should end the danger of Soviet communism immediately, which, of course, what the Germans were doing with Operation Barbarossa finishing off the Soviets and America now saved the Soviet Union but it wasn't too late to get rid of the Soviet Union now and so interesting that his warning went unheeded and he's quickly silenced by a convenient accident which took his life. So 78 years ago in the terrible summer of 1945 the U.S. Army had just completed the destruction of Germany. They'd set up an army government, a government of military occupation amidst the ruins to rule the starving Germans, and to deal out victor's justice to the vanquished. General Patton, commander of the Third Army, military governor of the greater portion of southern Germany, Bavaria, Um, he is starting to point out the fact that, in fact, uh, the Soviet Union is the main enemy. And uh, he now had gotten to know the Germans and the Soviet Union, which meant to be America's gallant allies. And he said... His whole attitude changed as he saw the true situation and in letters to his family, friends, m- military colleagues, government officials, he expressed his new understanding as apprehensions for the future and these letters and speeches were published by organizing of his daughters, 1974, the Hurton Mifflin Company published them under the title of Patent Papers, which I'm quoting from now. So, um, he... Um, expressed to the U.S. uh, Secretary of War, Robert Patterson, "Uh, let us keep our boots polished, our bayonet sharpened, uh, and present a picture of force and strength to the Red Army. That is the only language they understand and respect. And Patterson responded, oh, George, you've been so close to this thing for so long, you've lost sight of the big picture. And Patton said, I do understand the situation. The Soviet supply system is inadequate to the kind of action I could put them to. They have chickens in a coop and they have cattle on a hoof. That is their supply line. They could probably maintain themselves in a type of fighting. I could give them for five days. After that, it would make no difference how many million men they had. If you wanted Moscow, I could give it to you. They lived on the hoof and the land coming down. There's insufficient left for them to maintain themselves going back. Let's not give them time to rebuild their supplies. If we do, then we will have had victory over the Germans and disarmed them, but we will have failed in the liberation of Europe. We have lost the war. And so Patton's urgent prophetic advice went unheeded by the Secretary of War Patterson and the other politicians only um, served to give warning about Patton's feelings to the alien conspirators behind the scenes in New York, Washington, London, and Moscow. The more he saw the Soviets, the stronger Patton's conviction grew that the proper course of action is to stifle communism here and now, while our opportunity existed. And so late in May 1945, he attended several meetings with Red Army officers and evaluated them carefully, and he wrote, I've never seen in any army at any time, including the German Imperial Army of 1912, as severe a discipline as exists in the Russian army. This officers, with few exceptions, give the appearance of recently civilized Mongolian bandits. And as aide-general Hobart Gay noted, everything the Soviets did impressed one with the idea of virility and cruelty. And Patton said, The Americans can defeat the Soviets, but maybe not later. Can defeat them now, not later. And so he wrote, in my opinion, the American army as it now exists could beat the Russians with the greatest of ease. Because while the Russians have good infantry, they're lacking in artillery, air, tanks, and the knowledge of the use of these combined arms, whereas we excel in all three. If it is necessary to fight the Russians, the sooner we do it, the better. From now on, we're going to only get weaker and they're going to get stronger. If we have to fight them now is the time. Now, he noticed the Soviet danger and he urged a course of action which could have freed all of Eastern Europe from communist oppression with the expenditure of far less American lives and blood than they spilled later in Korea and Vietnam. And if they'd fought then at the end of the war in 1945, they would have prevented the need for any of those later wars like Korea, Vietnam, or we could talk about Rhodesia, Nicaragua, Afghanistan and so many others too. Patton also start to re-evaluate the nature of the people for whom the Second World War had apparently been fought. Uh, The Jews swarming over Europe immediately after the war, mostly from Poland and Russia, Patton found their personal habits shockingly uncivilized. He is disgusted by their behavior in the camps for displaced persons, or DPs, which Americans built for them. He is disgusted by the way they behaved when they were housed in German homes and hospitals. He said, these people do not understand toilets. They refuse to use them except as repositories for tin cans, garbage, and refuse. They decline where practical to use latrines. They prefer to leave, relieve themselves on the floor. And so he said uh, that the Jews were untrustworthy, hardly deserving all the official concern of the American government. And, and he also wrote that uh, this virus started by Morgan II and Burck is a Semitic revenge against all Germans. Harrison, a U.S. State Department official and associates, say they feel German civilians should be removed from their homes for the purpose of housing displaced persons. This is an error. First, we are punishing individuals uh, here, and it goes against due process of law and an Anglo-Saxon conscience to remove a person from the house. He who justifies the wicked and he who just condemns the just, both of them alike are an abomination to the Lord. So one of the strongest factors in transforming General Patton's thinking of the conquered people was the behavior of the America's controlled news media towards him. At a press conference in Regensburg after Germany's surrender, Patton was asked if he planned to treat the captured SS troops differently from other German prisoners of war. And he said, no, SS means no more in Germany than being a Democrat in America. There's no reason for trying someone who's drafted this outfit. In fact, the SS was more like an international army. It, was, it had volunteers tens of thousands of volunteers from France and from Spain and from Norway and Sweden and even Switzerland and Belgium, lots of even Ukrainians, there was a half a million volunteers from all over Europe, which was a true pan-European army, volunteers who had come together to help fight in a crusade against Bolshevism, Operation Barbarossa. So, to treat the SS like they were some kind of criminals when they'd proven to be some of the finest most dedicated and effective soldiers and you just think of People like uh, General uh, Leon de Grille uh, from Belgium, who's a volunteer, fought in the Eastern Front. His book, The Eastern Front, explains the motivations of these people to fight communism and to protect Europe from the Soviet Union. And uh, to treat these people like war criminals, when many of them were just uh, decent, um, courageous soldiers, is completely unfair. And so uh, General Patton refusing to penalize SS troops or treat them differently from any other prisoner of war was hated even more by the media. And so uh, he was forced to throw German families out of their homes to make room for more than a million German DPs or uh, displaced persons. As he said, uh, amazing how many millions of survivors uh, there are of the six million who had supposedly been gassed. So he didn't believe all the propaganda himself. And he said uh, when he was ordered to blow up all the factories in Germany, he said he protested because the machinery has already been confiscated um, So the factories could just be used for housing. We've got so many people who have no homes because of the bombing campaign. Why can't we house people in the factories? Why do we need to burn and blow up the factories after we've already looted the machinery from it? Uh, Most of the machinery end up in the Soviet Union. So he expressed his doubts to his military colleagues. And uh, he said the persecution of every German um, as a suspected Nazi is completely unfair. And he said, I'm frankly opposed to this war criminal stuff. It's not cricket, it's Semitic. I'm also opposed to sending prisoners of war to work like slaves in Soviet lands, like the Soviet Gulag, where many are going to be starved to death. And so he had to enforce some of the things that he hated, but according to his conscience, he moderated the uh, harsh laws of Eisenhower. And for this reason, they started to work to remove him because, for example, he said, we've received orders to give Jews special accommodation. Well, if we're Jews, why not for Catholics and Mormons? We're turning over to the French hundreds of thousands of prisons of war to be used as slave labor in France. To think that we fought a revolution in defense of the rights of man and a civil war to apparently abolish slavery. Now we've gone back on both principles. Where's right and where's the opposite of slavery while we are being slave traders ourselves now? It's an abomination for kings to commit wickedness for a throne is established by righteousness. Well, His duties as military governor took him to all parts of Germany and as he saw the German people he couldn't help but compare them to the French, the Italians, the Belgians and the British. And he came to the conclusion that in World War II we had fought against the wrong people. And he said, Berlin gave me the blues. We've destroyed a good race. We're about to replace them with Mongolian savages. All of Europe will be communist. For the first week after they took Berlin all women who ran were shot and those who did not run were raped. I could have taken Berlin instead of Zukov had I been allowed to. Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Therefore, the wrath of the Lord is upon you. Well, the conviction grew upon Patton that the politicians had used him and the U.S. Army for a criminal purpose. And in weeks, this grew. He wrote about meeting the Gen- French General Alphonse Youn, uh, who said, It is unfortunate, mon General, that the English and Americans have destroyed in Europe, the only sound country, and I do not mean France. Therefore, the road is now open for the advent of Russian communism. And he then also wrote, Actually, the Germans are the only decent people left in Europe. It's a choice between them and the Russians, and I prefer the Germans. What we are doing is to destroy the only modern state in Europe so that the Soviets can swallow the whole. Well, by this time, they had decided to destroy um, Germany, and Patton was perceived as a threat incorrigible and he had to be discredited so the media began a non-stop character assassination campaign against Patton and the press accusing him of being soft on Nazis I mean here's the toughest general who won some of the biggest battles I mean he saved the U.S. Army in the Battle of the Belge for example and uh, which was basically trying to save what was under Montgomery's side Montgomery had misrun the war there and Patton's third army came up and sa- saved the day and uh, Uh, Now they're saying he's soft on Nazis. And they kept recalling the incident when he had slapped Shirkers two years previously in Sicily. And a New York newspaper printed the false claim that when Patton had slapped a soldier who turned out to be Jewish, he'd called him a yellow-bellied Jew. He'd called him a yellow-bellied coward, actually. Uh, Nobody there heard him use the word Jew, but because the man he slapped was Jew, suddenly made Patton anti-Semitic Nazi and all that. So then... uh, Press reporters hatched a scheme to needle Patton into losing his temper and making statements that they could use against him. And so, um, asking why he wasn't pressing the Nazi witch hunt enough, he said, the Nazi thing is just like the Democrat-Republican fight. New York Times headlined this and papers all across America picked it up and basically called for him to be dismissed. And the hatred he had to face. There's a very apparent Semitic influence in the press, he wrote. They're trying to do two things. Firstly, implement communism. Secondly, they want to see that all businessmen of German ancestry, all who are not Jewish, are to be thrown out of their jobs. They've utterly lost our Anglo-Saxon conception of justice. They feel a man can be kicked out because someone else says he's a Nazi. They were evidently shocked when I told them I would kick nobody out without successful proof of guilt before a court of law. Another point that the press harped on is we're not doing enough for the DPs who are Jews and we're doing too much for the Germans. I could not give the answer to that one because the answer is, in my opinion, most of the non-political officers, it's vitally necessary for us to build Germany up as a buffer state against the Soviet Union. In fact, I'm afraid we've waited too long. And he saw Germany might be defeated now, but we need them to help keep the Soviets out of the rest of Europe. And they need to be our allies now. We shouldn't be treating them so badly. And so he wrote to his wife, I'll probably be in the headlines before you get this, The press is trying to quote me as being more interested in restoring order to Germany than in catching Nazis. I can't tell him the truth. Unless we restore Germany, we will ensure that communism will take over America. Well, General Eisenhower determined to get rid of Patton and he effectively fired him from being head of the 3rd Army and appointed him commander of the 15th Army, which didn't exist. It's a non-existent army with no forces. Basically, it was just a record-keeping force. So, in a letter to his wife... He said, I'm not that unhappy with this new assignment because I prefer it to being a sort of executioner to the best race in Europe. And he wrote that um, Eisenhower's disgusting behavior is uh, to give in to the Jewish demands. And there's a strong Soviet bias in the press. And he saw the politicization, corruption, degradation of the US Army under Eisenhower. And uh, he saw the demoralization of the American army is a deliberate goal of America's enemy. And he sees that this is a Stalinist uh, attempt to alienate the soldier from the commanders because the communists know the soldiers are not communists and they fear what 11 million votes of veterans will do. I mean, 11 million soldiers returning back to America is not going to all be voting Democrat, that's for sure. Democrats start the wars. And uh, in fact, most of the wars, First World War, Second World War, the U.S. Um, Democrat Party as the party of war you just think they got them into Vietnam they got them into so many of these different wars Korea and so on so in his letter to General Harwood, Patton revealed his plans to fight those who are destroying the morale and integrity of the US Army he said it's my present thought that when I finish this job which will be around the first of the year I shall resign not retire if I retire I will still have a gag in my mouth I don't want to start a limited counterattack which would be contrary to my military theories I want to wait till I can start an all-out offensive. And he plans to return home to launch a full-out offensive against the SOBs, who are the real enemy of America, which is the U.S. government and media.
0: So it's clear that General George Patton was a clear and present danger to the New World Order and a high-priority target for the Soviet NKVD. How did he come to be assassinated?
1: So on the 9th of December 1945, um, the day before he is retiring from the Army, um, a two-and-a-half-ton GMC Army truck which had been parked facing the direction general cars was traveling, suddenly roared into life and violently collided with the general's car. It suddenly, inexplicably careered directly across into the opposite lane and plowed into Patton's vehicle. An the action of the truck driver seemed designed to intentionally injure or kill the general. There was no road that he could be turning into. And the driver of the truck and his two passengers quickly vanished. No criminal charges were ever filed. No accountability was recorded. The official accident reports went missing. The key witnesses went missing. And despite General Patton's rank and fame as America's most audacious, successful combat veteran, there's no formal inquest. All official reports on the incident vanished. The military policeman who first arrived on the scene of the car accident Lieutenant Peter Babalas, treated the incident as a fender bender. And although Patton's driver testified that the truck driver and his passengers were drunk, Sergeant Robert Thomson's, Thompson's blood levels were never tested. He is never charged with driving under influence alcohol. In fact, his illegal possession of a Signal's company truck went unquestioned, despite the fact he is 60 miles north of his duty station and he had no reason for being in Manningham. Thompson's drunkenness, negligence and larceny went unquestioned. Numerous investigators and authors have attempted to find the official accident report unsuccessfully. Sergeant Robert Thompson and his two friends... Who were responsible for plying their truck into Patton's car were flown to England by Army intelligence. However, just four days after the collision, Thompson mysteriously reappeared in Germany, where he spoke to an American journalist claiming he was alone in the truck when it struck Patton's vehicle. Although the general and General Gay, Herbert Gay, and Private Horace Woodring swear there were two other people in the truck with Thompson. Now Private Horace Woodring The 19-year-old son of a dairy farmer in Kentucky grew up racing cars and flying stunt planes, and Patton spoke highly of him as his trusted driver. Woodring was driving at 20 miles an hour when Robert Thompson swerved the military truck hard to the left and plowed directly into the path of Patton's Cadillac. There's no turning in the road in that direction, uh, and so he didn't signal before he turned. He didn't attempt to brake. His action seemed deliberate. Woodring said I was no more than 20 feet from the truck when he began to turn and he accelerated directly into Cadillac. General Patton was flung from the back seat and his head slammed against the steel partition behind Woodring's driver's compartment. His nose broke and he felt a sharp pain in the back of his neck. No sensation in his lower body and he instantly the General realized he was paralyzed. Now he was the only person injured in that collision and uh, we'll find out why just now. So this is 9th of December 1945 at 11:45 a.m. and he arrived in the US Army 130th Hospital at 12:43 p.m. So almost an hour later. No medical staff was waiting at the hospital to rush him into surgery and the specialists there were no specialists assembled to deal with this life-threatening injury. But 2 days later his wife Beatrice and a spinal cord specialist arrived to be at his side. The doctors were confident that the general could survive his injuries and might be able to regain some mobility. They also of the opinion that he would be able to travel soon and fly back to America. But General Patton urged his wife emphatically, get me out of this hospital, they're trying to kill me here. However, he didn't recover and on 21st of December, his body was wheeled into a morgue in the basement and it was announced that the journalist who had come to the military hospital General George Patton had died. There was no autopsy. And although Beatrice wanted him buried at West Point, the army insisted that he be buried at the American military cemetery in Luxembourg. Neither General Dwight Eisenhower nor President Harry Truman attended the military funeral for the most famous successful combat general of the Second World War on the American side, General George Patton. Now, General Patton had many high-ranking enemies in Moscow, Berlin, London, Washington, D.C. He had a determination to speak the truth, and he made many powerful men squirm not only during the war, but even more so after the war. His public statements praising the German army for their matchless skill as fighting men, while criticizing the Soviet Union as the real enemy of freedom, led some to see Patton as a threat to the new world order. While they promised him liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. From the beginning, many people did not believe that Patton's death was accidental. He'd already survived several remarkable accidents, and many people remembered when his personal aircraft had almost been shot down by a British Spitfire. And Sergeant Robert Thompson's military records were burned in 1973 when a fire swept through the entire National Personnel Record Center in St. Louis, Missouri, destroying 18 million official military personnel files. Lieutenant Babala's uh, record reports also vanished. A 1953 request for a copy of the report received an official response of report, report of investigation not on file. Casualty Branch had no papers on file regarding accident. There's no information of the accident in the file of the aide of General Patton, uh, General Hoggard Gay, in his personnel file. And uh, despite all of this, you can just see absolute uh, cover-up on, on every level. The report by General George Keyes, the commander of the 7th Army, went missing. The only report that remained in circulation was the document allegedly written by the driver um, in 1951, uh, Horace Woodring, Patton's driver swore blind. He never signed his name to it. He never made any such reports, and he says the paperwork is fabricated. It's also been proven that the vehicle on display at the Patton Museum in Fort Knox, Kentucky, is not the vehicle in which General Patton was driving that day. Even the serial number's been filed off. That's a lot of trouble to go to, the fraud.
0: Yeah, this is all very suspicious. Who had the power to order such cover-ups and destruction of evidence Um, to such an extent and has anyone ever come forward to confess or blow the whistle on who was behind the assassination order
1: yes well only the u.s government could have done cover-ups on this level you know while the nkvd might have done the assassination the cover-ups have definitely been done by the u.s government and it's done over many generations now now in 1979 an oss agent major douglas bazata at a public meeting in Washington, D.C. with hundreds of JEDBAs, that's OSS veterans from the Second World War, gathered, he asserted publicly that he had fired a low-velocity projectile on the back of the general's neck, not sharp enough to break the skin, but hard enough to crack his uh, spine. And uh, he had seen that the window had been um, wedged down and couldn't be uh, closed, so that he could shoot straight through the open window when a, when a vehicle crashed. And he, of course, arranged for Thompson to crash the truck in to stop the vehicle at that spot. And uh, when Patton failed to die and was showing signs of recovery, they organized for him to be murdered in, his, in the hospital by a Soviet NKVD agents who were allowed in, who used um, an injection to uh, to stop his heart, basically. So Bazarta swore that while Bill Donovan, the head of the Officer secret service, Paid him $10,000, another $800 in expenses for his role in Patton's death. And now, uh, Douglas Bazzato, who's a major, who left the Army as a major in 1947, was awarded the Distinguished Service Cross, four Purple Hearts, and Francis Coeur de Gour with two palms. He later worked for the US government as Special Assistant to the Secretary of the Navy, and uh, he was praised by William Colby, one time head of Central Intelligence Agency, in his book. Honourable Men is one of the finest CIA operatives. And uh, according to um, Bazata, while Bill Donovan met him at the Claridge's Hotel in London and told him, Douglas, I indeed have a problem. It's extreme disobedience of General George Patton and of a very serious disregard of orders for the common cause. Shall I kill him, sir? Bazata asked him. Yes, Douglas, you do exactly what you must, he is told. And he has given that money for it. So, Some people have recognized General Patton as the first casualty of the Cold War. And uh, Patton's insights and convictions were considered such a threat to the New World Order that they
0: they had to terminate him with extreme prejudice. Where can listeners learn more about the life and legacy of General George Patton and the intrigues around his assassination?
1: Well, Bill O'Reilly wrote the book Killing Patton, The Strange Death of World War II's Most Audacious General, which I've read. It's not as good as Target Pattern. Target Patton, the plot to assassinate General George S. Patton by Robert Wilcox. That's the best book, I think. Target Patton, uh, it's got a lot of the information that uh, I've used in this. There's other books like the Patton Papers, of course, that's absolutely superb. Uh, the Murder of George Patton by Stephen Skubick is also very relevant. Uh, Skubick being the um, uh, military intelligence officer who received these reports of Patton's going to be murdered. Um from these Ukrainians who later Donovan ordered to hand it back to the Soviets. Uh, these are good sources. I've got videos and audios on the life and legacy of General George Patton, which people can find by visiting www.frontlinemissionsa.org. So I've given lectures on this and we've got a video with PowerPoint presentation on the assassination of George Patton. You can find that on frontlinemissionsa.org website.
0: Thank you, Dr. Hammond, for this um sensational um, um, expose about the death of Patton. Um, In closing, we'll read from Isaiah chapter 5, verses 20 to 23. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who justify the wicked for a bribe and take away justice from the righteous man. Thank you very much for joining us for From the Frontline. God bless and good night.